Chapter 32 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 32 in which I get a letter and make a discovery. Now, I began, when we had taken a general survey of the whole interior, I want you both to understand what I'm after. I have reason to think that my uncle died with over $40,000 by his side. That money, I have also reason to think, is still in the house. Probably it is in one of the three rooms... I thought, interrupted Caggett, that Mrs. Rayner ran away with all the money. So did others, was my answer, but later events have changed that opinion. As I was saying, I have reason to think that if this money is about at all, it is probably in my uncle's library or in his bedroom or in the room where I slept that night. We'll begin by making a thorough search of the library. Then we'll go on either to the room where I slept that night or to my uncle's bedchamber, according to the time it takes us to complete our search in the library. I don't understand, said Caggett, with his frown and rasp in the superlative. Well, you know enough for the present. We entered the library and began the search. At first, I was amused by the nervous, terrified glances of my two companions. Nugent was constantly looking over his shoulder while his fingers were flying up and twitching his mustache every minute. Caggett was less nervous in his movements, but by no means less frightened. The peculiar look of horror to which I have already referred was his characteristic expression. His hand was cold and clammy, his face pale and drawn. All this, I repeat, was amusing at first, but the amusement was short-lived. Nothing is more contagious than fear, and very soon I discovered that I too was yielding to fright. Unconsciously, I began to take an occasional look over my shoulder. In short, we were a trio of cowards. Frightened as I was, however, I was determined to brave it out. In comparison with my companions, I was a hero. Despite our condition, we effected a thorough search of the library. Not a case, not a shelf, scarcely a book remained unexamined. Then we sounded the flooring and the walls. Here, my weak friend, the clerk, showed that he was not utterly an ignoramus. So interested did he become in tapping the walls and partitions that he lost sight of his terror and actually put fresh spirit into me. The library was a large room, and I discovered, when we finished its examination, that it wanted but five minutes to eleven. Now, gentlemen, I said, we shall go to my uncle's room and examine it in the same manner. But here the wretched Caggett objected. No, no, he exclaimed, his voice hoarse with emotion. Not that room. Take your own first. We can go to your uncle's in the morning. My mind is made up my uncle's first. No, or at least wait here till midnight passes. There was a great fear upon his features. Come on, I said sternly, catching up the lamp. I'll not go, he growled. Very well, I said, then I'm going to lock you up 
here alone without light. And besides, oh, I'll go. I wouldn't be alone here for all the money in the world. As he spoke, he took a mouthful of brandy. How closely these two men clung to me as we ascended the stairs together, so closely that I could feel that they were trembling and hear, as I thought, their heartbeats. As we were midway between the first and second floors, the woodwork upon which we trod gave a dismal creak. Caggett jumped with fright, and had it not been for the support of my free hand, would have fallen down the stairs. Soon we were hard at it, examining my uncle's room. Nugent was now a trifle brave. There was something of the detective in him, for he was really earnest in the work of finding out every nook and cranny of the apartment. Within fifteen minutes we had explored my uncle's wardrobe, his table, and his desk. Then Nugent took the lead. Caggett was in a state of terror, which he kept within limits by frequent applications to the bottle of brandy. After we had examined the flooring, he threw himself into a chair and addressed the detective. "'It's no use. If I were you, I would sit down. We'll put in our work in the other room. Hadn't we better try the other room now?' he inquired, turning to me. Neither Nugent nor myself paid him the least attention— we were both busy sounding the walls. I had come within a few feet of my uncle's bed when Caggett jumped to his feet and ran over toward me. For God's sake, he cried, let us leave the house now. Tomorrow will be the time. Tomorrow. Sit down, you coward, I said sternly. He complied, yielding rather to his own terror than to my words, and I continued tapping the wall. "'Have you ever made a close examination of the bedding?' asked Nugent, turning to me. "'Tom Playfair and myself took a look at it when we were here,' I replied. "'But we didn't spend much time at it.' "'There's nothing there,' growled Caggett. "'I made it up myself before I left this horrible house.' Nugent, taking no notice of the remark, proceeded to throw coverings, pillowcase, and mattress upon the floor. Scarcely had he done so when Caggett rose and advanced to his side." Let that bed alone, he growled. Caggett was an awful spectacle. His eyes were bloodshot, and his face was quivering with fear and rage. Nugent was daunted by the horrid sight. He stepped back and stood gazing spellbound upon this wretched figure. Here, Nugent, I exclaimed, you try your hand at this wainscoting. I'll examine the bed myself. Caggett closed his hands tightly and made a few steps toward me, brandishing his fists as he advanced. Stand still, I cried. Nugent, I call upon you to look at this man. Nugent, who had put himself beside me, lifted his head, and the two of us eyed the would-be aggressor in silence. Caggett quailed at our stare. Muttering a curse, he returned to the chair and buried his face in his hands. Suddenly, an involuntary exclamation from my lips brought the detective to my side. "'What's this?' I exclaimed, pointing to a letter which was pinned to the underside of a bed slat. The clerk, without answering, pulled away the pin, and the letter fell to the floor. There was a muffled sound from Caggett. "'Why?' I cried as I picked it up. "'Just look at this address.' Nugent bent over and read." Master Harry D. Present. 
Get the lamp, Nugent, I said. This letter looks very old, and who knows, but it may have come from my uncle. I tore open the envelope, and as the clerk held the lamp, I read with wonder and dismay such as no words can express. December 24th, 18 blank. Nephew Harry, tonight at 12 o'clock, I commit suicide. If you should enter this, my room, tomorrow, you will find me dead with my own knife in my heart. James D. Good God, I cried, am I awake or dreaming? Nugent took the note from my palsied hand and read it with eagerness. What do you think of it? I asked. He handed me back the note, glancing as he did so towards Caggett, and again the terror of that sight seemed to penetrate Nugent's inmost being. Look, look, he gasped. Well might he be frightened. Seated beside the table, Caggett was the personification of horror. His facial muscles were twitching madly. His eyes were fixed upon us with a glassy stare. His mouth was open, and he appeared to be struggling for breath. It appeared to me at once that the wretched man had been taken by a fit. Placing the lamp on the table, just at his elbow, I hastily took another pint of brandy from my valise and filled him a small glass. More, more, he gasped, as he drank it down at a single draft. I filled him another. His terror moderated sensibly. Caggett, I said, when I was satisfied that he was calm enough to converse, look at this letter from my uncle. He endeavored to hold the paper, but it fluttered from his hands to the floor. Picking it up, I read it aloud. Do you understand this, Caggett? There was a fearful play of muscles about his throat and a few deep gurgles as of a man choking to death before he succeeded in forcing out the words. Yes, and it's true. What, I cried, all these years you have known that my uncle made away with himself and you have allowed an innocent woman to be hunted? But how did you come to know of my uncle's suicide? The same struggling and play of his throat ensued before he labored forth the words, More brandy! I administered him another glass. That night, he began with an effort, I was working in the cellar till after twelve o'clock. When I came upstairs, I knocked at his room. He paused to pass his hand over his brow. There was no answer, and I entered, and then I saw your uncle lying in the bed, dead, killed by his own knife. On the chair beside him was that letter addressed to you. I read it. I took the letter and hid it in that place where you found it. Why? Why? I don't know. That's a lie. Tell me the reason. I, I, I had overheard what your nurse had said to your uncle, and I wanted to throw his death on her. I was not satisfied with this explanation, the more so as his halting way of delivering it gave me reason to suspect that he was holding something back. Now, Caggett, why should you want to throw the suspicion on Mrs. Rayner? because I, I thought people might think I did it. Was that your only reason? Caggett seemed to have fallen into a stupor. Don't give that man any more brandy, whispered the frightened young man in my ear. 
If you do, there's every chance that we'll have a madman on our hands. I was a fool to come here. With which Nugent, taking another shuddering look at the hideous tramp, turned his back to us and resumed his examination of the wainscoting. Caget, I repeated, catching him by the shoulder and shaking him. Was there any other reason? He opened his lips to reply, but though his lips moved, there came no sound. Do you understand, Caget? I intended to steal his money, he answered with an effort. I glanced at the detective. Tom Playfair was right, I muttered. Mrs. Dorn did hear real footfalls besides my own, and here is the thief. No, said Caget. When I got here, the money was already stolen. I looked at him earnestly. He seemed to be speaking the truth. Mrs. Rayner stole it, he added. You wretched villain, I broke forth, if you ever speak of Mrs. Rayner in that way again. Look, look, Nugent suddenly broke in. Here's something. I ran to his side. Kneeling beside the bed, which he had moved out from the wall, he was gazing into an opening in the partition, evidently much frightened at the discovery he had made. The opening revealed a recess about one foot square. How did you find this? I asked. I, I touched something or other. It must have been a spring, and part of the wainscot rolled back. As Nugent seemed utterly unable to proceed further, I gently shoved him aside. He fell sprawling as though I had struck him with a club. Putting my hand into the secret recess, I drew out a heavy wooden box, open at the top. Bringing it nearer to the lamp, I perceived almost at a glance that I was holding a fortune in my hands. Banknotes of all values, gold and silver, every species of money. The missing treasure was found. But who had placed it in this unknown hiding place? It must have been my uncle. Could it be possible that he had deliberately secreted the large sum before committing suicide? This train of thought brought me back to Caget. Why had he thrown the awful suspicion of murder on Mrs. Dorn? Ah, it was true that he himself had wished to make away with the money. I turned to address him. As I was about to speak, the clock in the hall, which I had taken care to set early in the evening, broke into a peculiar whirring noise, at which sound Caget gave a nervous start, and, in moving his arm, struck the shade of the student lamp. The shade moved several inches. It was connected with the wick, and in turning, lowered it so that we were once again in a dim, ghostly light. Caget did not know that he was the cause of the darkness, and, as the clock struck the first stroke of the hour of midnight, he sprang to his feet with a low, horrible gasp, and fell upon his knees, facing toward my uncle's bed. Nugent, whose fears had been mounting with every moment since the discovery of the letter and the treasure, gave a wild cry, rushed to the door, and clattered down the stairs. End of chapter 32